0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Chiefs Zone Podcast. My name is Farzim Visugi, and thank you guys for downloading and listening to another episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Hope you all have had a great weekend. Hope your week is off to a great start. Got a lot to talk about on this episode of the podcast. A lot of topics to cover here on this episode. We're going to discuss the Chiefs Red Zone offense. Kind of a unique topic here. Uh, Something was brought to my attention that I did not notice before, and you probably haven't either. Something very interesting about the Kansas City Chiefs' offense uh, involving the red zone that you're going to want to hear about, and we'll go go into the details with that and see how the Chiefs will do in 2018. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, he made a request to have MD uh, the initials as part of his jersey. The NFL has reportedly denied that. We'll talk about that later on, plus one chief's free agent is hinting at a possible return i'll tell you who that is and why this speculation started to come about is this a realistic possibility i'll discuss that later also hear who the royals are going after Uh, and you're going to want to hear about his controversial past and this is going to be a lot to take in here. And I want to discuss that here on this podcast as well. So a lot to get into uh, with those topics, plus a couple of other things I want to get into here on this episode. Uh, before we get into the, the, the topics here on, on the show, I do want to discuss what's going to be going on with the podcast for the next couple of weeks. Of course, you guys know 4th of July week is coming up. I'm actually going to be out of town that week. I'm going to be in Sin City for the week. And UFC 226 will be taking place that weekend, so I'll be there. Uh, very excited to uh, attend that event, but uh, I, I digress. The podcast, uh, we will have an episode out next Monday. We, we've been having them on Tuesdays lately, but there will be a podcast out next Monday, July the 2nd. And then after that, the next episode will be available on Friday, July the 13th. From that point, the podcasts will be out on Fridays. Uh, and then once the preseason kicks off, we will start doing not one but two episodes per week, here on the Chiefs on Podcast. Scheduling will be inconsistent because the Chiefs have uh, different games on different days, so uh, we'll work around it, but nonetheless, uh, I'll announce which dates to expect new episodes a week in advance during the preseason, so that way, uh, and I know a lot of you guys are and if you guys are on iTunes consistently, it'll download automatically, uh, but I know a lot of you guys like to know in advance, because a lot of you guys don't necessarily uh go to your itunes library page or on google play unless uh you know when to expect an episode of the podcast so i'll definitely make that uh clear and i'll I'll announce that a week in advance during the preseason because i know the scheduling of course as i mentioned not the most consistent there real quickly social media you guys know the drill if you're new to the show hey no big deal Very easy to be part of the show. A lot of ways you can interact with me. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. That's my Facebook page. Like the Facebook page. Follow me on Facebook. Also follow me on Twitter at Farzine 21 plus my email Farzine at FarzeeVesugian.com. If you enjoy the podcast, greatly appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. But if you have a moment, a quick moment that is, hit the share button on iTunes and Google Play. And while you're on there, make sure you are subscribed. Have your friends subscribe to the podcast as well. Let's get things going here, and I really want to get into this Chiefs red zone offense because this is something that I uh, had no idea about. I was completely oblivious to this, and it's one of those things that maybe you didn't know the statistics, but maybe you had a, you you, you still caught on at some point, you just never thought, thought of anything about this. Uh, this was not the case for me. Uh, I did not notice this uh, decline for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, nor did it ever occur to me that this was even a a a, a thing in the slightest bit. Uh, this, this this article uh, on Arrowhead Addict, written by Travis Stefan, uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly. Travis Stefan, maybe. Um, hopefully, I got one of those uh, correctly there. One of those guesses there. Uh, he wrote a very interesting piece, and he pointed out that Kansas City's red zone offense over the past five years, ever since under uh, Andy Reid, since he got to Kansas City, uh, it has gone down every single year. So I want to start with 2013, and I'm going to read you the Chiefs' red zone offense and how they did in total offense and in points per game. So let's start with, and we're going to go in chronological order, let's start with 2013. They were fifth in the red zone, obviously very good. Sure, yeah, you could do a little bit better, but being top five in the NFL in that category or in any category, especially in the red zone I mean i mean that that's a, a big stat right there uh that, you're gonna win a lot of games, and the chiefs did win a lot of games doing that fifth in total offense they were twenty first or excuse me fifth in red zone offense twenty first in total offense, and they tied sixth in points per game with Cincinnati. And they scored 26.9 points per game. Very close to 27 points per game. That's actually the best scoring output the Chiefs had. Shocking. You would have thought it was last season. It was very close. Uh, But looking at that, okay, 21st in total offense. Again, I, I think that statistic, total offense and total defense. It's not necessarily whether you're the best or the worst offense or defense. It's simply, you know, who has... ...accumulated or allowed the most or fewest yards... Now, a team that is number one in total offense or total defense, can they also potentially be the best in uh, the best as an offense or a defensive unit? Yeah, absolutely. I think generally, I think there are other statistics that come into play that don't necessarily show up on the total offense or total defense stat sheets. And I'm not going to get too much into the details of those, but being 21st in total offense, but 5th in the red zone and 6th in points per game, normally you don't see that. Uh, but what's so weird is a lot of times when you look at, and I, I guess it's kind of a funny way to put it, but I guess NFL math does not always add up. A lot of you guys know I host an MMA podcast, the Cage Zone podcast, and a lot of times we talk about MMA math. Uh, sure, you you want to look at uh, two fighters who are going head-to-head, and you want to look at their past opponents, the common opponents, and what their records are compare, uh, comparing to the other in uh, in common opponents, and sure, maybe one fighter does really well in the common opponents, but they still lose that fight uh, against who they were getting ready to, to to face. And MMA math does not always add up, and that's kind of the case I'm trying to make here. Similar thing could be said for 2014. The Chiefs were ninth in red zone offense. 25th in total offense, 16th in points per game. So y- you've got numbers in all, all sorts of different places, uh, you know, up high, in the middle, uh or, or very uh, close to the bottom. Uh, the Chiefs were in different places that year, offensively speaking. Now, again, if you've noticed, the Chiefs went from fifth to ninth in red zone offense, and it's going to continue to decline. 2015, 12th in that category, red zone offense. 27th in total offense, the worst under Andy Reid, and 9th in points per game. Again, uh, near the bottom in total offense, but still finishing in the top 10 in points per game, which which again, the points are really what matter the most. Uh, But I'm not saying the others don't necessarily matter either. 2016, the Chiefs took a giant step back in this category, Uh, 26th. In red zone offense. Now, quickly, I'll read the others. 20th in total offense and 13th in points per game. And I think when you look at that uh, that number of being 26th, the two games that really stick out the most to me were the two games where Eric Berry just dominated and took over and helped the Chiefs win those games against the Falcons and against the Panthers where the Chiefs in the second half against the Falcons couldn't even score. An offensive touchdown. They had a touchdown on special teams on a fake punt from Albert Wilson, who's now with the Miami Dolphins. And then there was the uh, pick two by Eric Berry uh, to retake the lead after the Falcons scored a touchdown. And then, of course, uh, against the Carolina Panthers, uh, the Chiefs only had field goals plus a defensive touchdown from Eric Berry in that game. And if you look at the offense, I mean, the offense, again, like I said, they no-showed against the Falcons in the second half, and they were nowhere to be found in that Panthers game. If you look at the first half of the Broncos game, that crazy game that season, where Cairo Santos hit the upright to win right before the end of overtime, which could have ended easily in a tie, but, you know, lucky kick there, of course. And, hey, uh, better to be lucky than not. Certainly not uh, try to say anything against that. Uh, but my point is, in, in the first half of that game, the Chiefs, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, the only scoring they had in the first half was a Justin Houston sack in the end zone, which was a safety, plus a Tyree Hill kick return touchdown right, uh, right after the uh, safety took place. So uh, you saw a lot of inconsistencies with that offense, and still... They made big plays with Travis Kelsey, uh, some of the running backs uh, that were filling in for Jamal Charles, such as Spencer Ware, Chuck Hendrick West, West, uh, Tyreek Hill, of course, had a lot of big plays that year, uh, Jeremy Macklin, you know, he had some highlights here and there, not too many, of course, but uh, Kansas City dropping to 26th in uh, red zone offense. 2017, again, another decline, this time by one uh, spot falling to 27th, and they were 5th in total offense. This is Kansas City's best season in terms of total offense, which is being 5th. Yet they were the worst in the red zone. And if you look at points per game, they ranked 6th in points per game. They also ranked 6th in 2013. However, in 2013, when they tied 6th with Cincinnati, they scored more points per game in 2013 than they did in 2017, which was, again, kind of a shocker to me, uh, I thought 2017 was for sure the year where they scored more points, given just the offensive output there, but not the case. So, and I've got to say too, considering who you had on the offense, you had the leading rusher in the NFL and Kareem Hunt. You have Tyreek Hill, an explosive offensive player, and Alex Smith. We know he uses he loves to use tight ends, and you have Travis Kelsey, arguably uh, maybe the best tight end right behind Gronk uh, by just a small margin. And when you have all these options here, why is it that Kansas City struggled so much in the red zone? And I think that's one thing that we never realized, nor did we notice this in the five years under Randy Reid, Seeing the decline uh, in the red zone offense, despite last year being the best offensive season the Chiefs ever, ever had. You can be the best defensive football team or the best offensive football team or the best, you have the best special teams unit in the NFL. That doesn't mean you're perfect in every single category or you're in the top five in every single spot. Uh, you're going to have some weaknesses. Even that, look at look at every single team that wins a championship in any sport. There's a reason why they go make acquisitions in the offseason. Well, they lose a couple of players. Everyone loses a player here and there, uh, especially a key player. So you have to go out there and find ways to improve because there were still certain areas. I mean, no one's ever gone 19-0 in the NFL ever since the 16-game uh, schedule set has been released. No one's ever gone perfect through 19 games. It almost happened, of course, with New England, uh, but we haven't seen it yet. We still haven't. So everyone has a weakness somewhere, and teams have to improve on that. Kansas City, for whatever reason, they were in the top 10 in total offense and points per game. Uh, And, they've, of course, everyone knew about uh, the Chiefs being the second team in NFL history to have a quarterback throw for 4,000 passing yards and to have a running back, a wide receiver, and a tight end each amass 1,000 yards either through rushing or receiving. To have just that kind of a dynamic offense, you would think that they certainly did well in the red zone, but that was not the case. And I guess, uh, just from going back and watching a few highlights I saw with the Chiefs, and I think Tyreek Hill had a lot to do with this, the Chiefs were a lot better... When They were not in the red zone, and of course, I mean, that's that's an obvious thing right there to say. It doesn't take a genius if you just look at the, the stats right there and you see that. But what's so weird, and I, rem- I remember this with the Chiefs in 2007, that was Jared Allen's final year with the Chiefs. He led the NFL in sacks with 14 and a half, despite being suspended the first two games, uh, after his uh second uh DUI strike that he had committed. But uh, you look at what the Chiefs did defensively that year. They were not great. Uh, And and look, I've got to be honest. I don't know off the top of my head exactly where the Chiefs ranked defensively, but I'll tell you this right now. This is something I do remember. The Chiefs finished second in the NFL in red zone defense. Again, it sounds kind of crazy, but... Despite being so bad defensively, losing 9 straight to end the season, and finishing with a 4-12 record, the Chiefs uh, were great in the red zone defense. I remember KU football during my time covering the Jayhawks uh, when I was at KU uh, in 2012. uh, They were a terrible defensive team, but they had the best red zone defense in the Big 12. And, you know, I I asked a couple of coaches uh, at the time about this, and I've asked scouts why this can be the case, why a bad defense can be so great in the red zone and uh, a lot of the explanations I I got uh, as a common response was some defenses are not very good when it comes to defending a big field but when you're at the 20 yard line at the 15 at the 10 whatever the case is and you don't have a lot of field to cover you 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 have a crowded area here and the quarterback at this point doesn't have he, he can't necessarily throw a deep pass because when you're so close to the end zone, there is no such thing as a deep throw right there. So they're gonna be—it's gonna be crowded wherever you look as a quarterback, and that can be a tough challenge for for offenses because they're so used to, I guess, practicing for an offense or excuse me, a defense and exploiting their big weaknesses in the passing game, but. When you get to the red zone, you don't necessarily prepare for that, and you forget that you know when you have 11 guys uh, at the 20-yard line or, or closer than that, it, 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 it's, it's, it's pretty tough to sneak a football in there sometimes because they're all going to be close together. They're not going to be far apart as if they were in, at the 30 or the 50-yard line. You get the idea. Uh, that's the big difference maker. So let's now flip things back and look at it from an offensive standpoint, which I still struggle with, though. Why is it that a mobile quarterback like Alex Smith, again, when he has the number one running back in the NFL, like uh, Kareem Hunt, and probably the most explosive offensive player in the league, and Tyree Kill, and your one B uh, best tight end in the NFL, and Travis Kelsey? I mean, you you basically got all the weapons possible. And listen, we know here in Kansas City how great tight ends are. A lot of great tight ends over the years in Kansas City. And really how good they can be, how beneficial it is for a quarterback for the short passing game, just getting that short yardage there. And I know Alex Smith's been criticized to be the check down guy and to to throw it just short. So why is it Kansas City struggling in that area? And that, I think, is something that... I think it requires a lot of deep film study. I haven't had a chance to really go back and watch a lot of these. Uh, I'll definitely make an attempt to do that. But the the problem is, I, I think at the end of the day, I think Alex Smith was certainly under some pressure with the draft pick. We saw him play so much better, uh, not just in his time as a Chief, but in his career overall. All the stats he's had in Kansas City, even before last season, it's the best he's had in his career. Whether it was San Francisco or KC, Last year was a completely different year for Alex Smith. And by the way, I do want to get into Alex Smith a little bit later. Something really interesting that needs to be noted about Alex Smith. And a lot of you guys were upset about this when I mentioned this on the Facebook page. But nonetheless, how are the Chiefs going to do in the red zone with Pat Mahomes? That is going to be one thing I'm going to keep a very close eye on. And I think all of you guys should as well. Knowing the fact that the Chiefs went from 5th to ninth, the 12th to 26th and 27th in this category. Certainly you it's gonna be hard to win games in the NFL if you are finishing you know, in the in the bottom five or the bottom ten in that category. And look, being 27th, uh can it get much worse? Yeah, I guess. I mean, look, there are you could be 28th, 29th, 32nd in the league in this category, so it can get a little bit more worse. Uh but The expectation is that the Chiefs can do better with uh, what what they have this year you're adding Sammy Watkins and sure Patrick Mahomes he's going to have that rookie feel coming in here but he's got really almost everything handed to him uh with two really good wide receivers a great tight end and I don't care who's dressing up at uh, at running back whether it's Kareem Hunt or any of the backups running backs just tend to do great under Andy Reid so you have that going for you Oh, and you've got Anthony Sherman, one of the best fullbacks in the NFL as well. So there are plenty of reasons why we should expect the Chiefs to not just improve in the red zone, but do way better than 27th in 2018. Let me know your thoughts on this. Facebook.com slash Farzine Twitter.com slash Farzine one. You guys can also email me, Farzine at FarzineVasugian.com. I want to switch gears and talk. Let's stick with the offense, actually. And talk about uh, one player who's been labeled as a surprise standout so far in the off season. ESPN uh, had a very cool article where they touched on one surprise from all 32 teams. And Adam Teicher, a long-time writer for the Kansas City Star. Now uh, he's been with ESPN for a few years, covering the Chiefs still. And he, his surprise standout at OTAs was Ryan Hunter, offensive lineman. And here is the uh, short uh, post Adam Teicher had about him. Uh, the, he wrote, The Chiefs have given the undrafted rookie a look in their starting lineup at left guard during offseason practice uh, that the Chiefs are already seeing how much Hunter can handle. Speaks well for his chance of not only making the team, but eventually contributing more during the season. Now, on some depth charts that you might look up online, such as Our Lads, uh, which is run by Dan Chanka, who we had on the uh, podcast recently, you look at that depth chart, and they have Parker Eniger at left guard. You know, real quick, how about I just read the offensive line from left to right? That's the projected starting lineup. Eric Fisher, Parker Eniger, Mitch Morse, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, and Mitchell Schwartz. Seems like a reasonable thing to expect. I think a lot of people are a little bit curious about how Parker Inager's, uh going to do coming into 2018. But Ryan Hunter, who's actually listed as a right tackle on the de- depth chart, he's a guy who's uh, been seeing a lot of time at left guard. That left guard spot is wide open. I think the Chiefs, even though Mitch Morris uh, wasn't as great as he was his rookie year, former Missouri Tiger, I think the Chiefs are very confident in him and bouncing back in 2018 LDT very underrated guard I know a lot of people are talking about his accomplishments off the field but he really is one of the more underrated offensive linemen in the NFL the Chiefs locked him up to a long-term deal last year and that was one of the very few moves John Dorsey made right before he was let go by the team Mitchell Schwartz probably one of the best right tackles in the game Eric Fisher He's had an up-and-down career. He really has. Uh, there are some games where he looks really good and then other games where he looks absolutely terrible. John Dorsey, of course, he he gave him a big contract before he was let go as well. So uh, you're stuck with that, unfortunately. Cameron Irving, a versatile offensive lineman who was acquired from the Cleveland Browns, hasn't done well, at least not up to the standard that was expected from him given his draft placement. But He's done pretty well uh, you know, in his role spot with the Kansas City Chiefs, so we'll see if he'll have a, a hand in this uh, offense. Let's not forget about Khalil McKenzie, who was originally drafted as a defensive lineman by the Chiefs this year, and he is making that switch to the offensive side of the football, uh, and he's a candidate to, uh, to win that left guard spot going into week one. So that is something very interesting to, to keep an eye on, because I think that's... That's an area where, look, Canty needs to improve on that. They were not great at it last year, but they weren't as bad as some people try to make it seem like they were. Canty uh, does have uh, a really good, in, in my opinion, underrated and underappreciated offensive line, and I think, uh, you know, that left guard spot, you've got to use that very carefully uh, because you, you can really do some damage with Kareem Hunt, whether it's looking to the left, uh, trying to attack the outside, or or if you want to go right up in the middle between the center and the left guard, well, you're going to want to make sure you have uh, the best guy there to allow Kareem Hunt to continue to do what he did last year, essentially, uh, when he led the league in rushing yards. And, of course, trying to protect Patrick Mahomes, uh, I think, for a guy who's entering his shirt rookie season. This is a guy who needs all the protection he can get, and that's not to say he'll never get touched. Everyone gets sacked. Everyone gets... Bumped here and there. Every quarterback goes through that. But uh, all the help that you can give Patrick Mahomes certainly would be great. Especially with the potential you have this year with this offense. It could really go a long way for Mahomes and Andy Reid as the play caller for right now. Anybody and everyone on this offense uh, certainly would be key for the Chiefs in 2018. One interesting note before I talk about... Uh, Laurent Durbin Tardif plus a potential chief who could return the uh, new NFL catch rule well, everyone knows about this they're trying to be lenient or allow some leniency on this catch no catch drama I know the uh, game between the Steelers and the Patriots that one was the most talked about game when it came to the, uh, the controversy regarding what a catch is or what's not a catch so if you remember, Demetrius Harris looked like he had a touchdown against the Steelers in Week Six, when the Chiefs were trying to defend their undefeated record of five and zero going into that game, and uh, a, game, a moment in which Demetrius Harris he had the football, had two feet down, but was pulled out right before or right after, excuse me, he landed both feet uh, on the ground in the end zone and the NFL had called it incomplete, and by rule, that was correct, it's just people didn't realize it's the rule that sucked, and not the referees necessarily, similar situation with Kareem Hunt, I think that was on a Thursday night game against the LA Chargers, where he caught the football very close, and he had his feet, of course, inbounds, but as uh, he had possession of the football, the football did make contact with the ground, and the referees ruled that incomplete. And a, a, a play like that could constitute as a catch and a touchdown for an offense. And I bring this up specifically because the NFL did use Demetrius Harris's catch as an example, and had he done that, maybe... There could have been a difference in the standings because Kansas City's undefeated streak could have kept going for at least one more week. Uh, That's not to say that could have been the final score right there, but hey, you never know at the end of the day. Uh, You never know if momentum would have carried over into that Thursday night game against the Raiders in which the Chiefs lost uh, by one point. I'm sure you guys all remember the ending to that game, but... Nonetheless, that new catch rule certainly uh, expect more, more scores. Uh, the Chiefs had a couple of them taken away. We know the Steelers, they had a big one taken away from them against the Patriots. So at the end of the day, uh, the, I think we should expect more uh, scores, more touchdowns, uh, now that we have a lenient catch rule in the NFL. And that was pointed out by uh, the national media and the NFL's uh, social media pages uh, this week. A couple of other topics before we wrap up the podcast. I want to discuss uh, this story about Laurent Duvernay-Tardif and basically having his jersey request denied according to uh, a Montreal station, TVA Sports. Uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, as as we all know, he requested to have MD, which stands for Medicine Doctor, uh, on the back of his jersey. Uh, Basically, he wanted to say Laurent-Tardif uh, comma, MD, with the initials MD afterwards, and that was denied, and I think, I think about this, and I, okay, look, I get that's not his legal name, it's more of a title from, from a job he had, but should this really have been denied, and, and I'm trying to look at this objectively, I'm not trying to say this as a Chiefs, man. I really am trying to look at this objectively, and I, I hope other people can as well. Let's look at the past for a moment you've had a guy who changed his last name and again I understand it's a legal change in a name he went from Chad Johnson to Chad Ocho Cinco and then he and I, I believe he uh, the words Ocho Cinco were two different words then he changed it again to have it one word so look Chad Johnson has had three different jerseys out there on sale for fans to buy I mean come on let's let's not be foolish here folks. I get it. He legally changed his name, but we all know there was some sort of attention seeking moment there in changing the name. And also a little uh, cheap way to sell a few more jerseys for a certain guy. And again, I know this is part of someone's name, but we see a lot of times, uh, you know, Will Fuller V, uh, you know, John Schmo, the first, the second, the third, junior, whoever. Let me just say this. I, and I get that's part of someone's name, but if I can just be completely honest for five seconds, I do not give a damn if you are the second, the third, the 19th person with the same name in your family tree. I don't care if you're junior senior, juniors, I really couldn't care less about any of that. And it's on the back of players' jerseys. So at some point, uh, you know, you kind of have to look at this and say, okay, look, we've let other players like Chad Johnson kind of have it his way just so he can, you know, get some more attention and, and uh, you know, have some fun with that. Uh, again, I got it. It's a legal change in a name. But here's where I stand on this. There's a lot of negativity in the NFL with Anthem protests. I don't, Regardless where you stand on that, whether you're for it or against it, there is still a negative spin to that story. And we know that's an ongoing issue right now. Uh, despite the league's new rule on that, it'll still be an issue for a while. A lot of arrests take place in the NFL. And a lot of those players end up coming back and playing for, for the league. So why is it with all this negativity in the NFL and all the negativity we hear in our world today? What would one positive spin do to hurt the NFL? In other words, what I'm trying to say is, is there anything bad about this? Now, a lot of people said, okay, this opens a whole new can of worms because if Laurent DuVernay Tardif is going to be granted this, well, maybe somebody who's uh, been in the Army uh, if they've served this country, they might want, I know Villanueva, the Steelers, this would apply to him. They might want um, their, uh, their call letters or their initials included in something like this, like, like Sergeant, for example, uh, if anyone's uh, also a police officer, uh, trying to think of other examples out there. If anyone else is a doctor, I guess a, a teacher. I don't know if someone wants uh Mr., Mahomes and I'm just using that as as an example of course but if anyone would want to have that that I understand and to me here's my response yeah sure it does open a whole new can of worms but in my opinion I think that's worth it right now let's go ahead and, and here's the other thing too I think you've got to draw a line somewhere here someone mentioned this on the Facebook page I think you do have to draw a line somewhere. I, you know, I would not want, and I hate to say this because I really do admire what teachers do, especially for the uh, amount of money they make for a living. But uh, I I think there are some some job titles that are far more respectable than others. I think we can agree on that. I think job like uh, you know being a doctor. I mean, I I think that's a big deal. Completing, uh medicine school, I mean, that's no easy deal. Especially while you're also in the NFL. Not easy at all. And I certainly think something like that should be recognized. My point is, the NFL has so much negativity that when a player wants to have something positive promoted, the NFL rejects it. And again, I get it. Uh, What you want on the back of a jersey is the player's legal name. I get that. Would it hurt in some way to... To to promote this positivity because the NFL needs some positivity, our world needs some positivity. It might just be two initials and two dots, but even something small like that, I think, could really inspire a lot of kids. There are kids out there who wear these jerseys out there, and if Laurent Duvernay-Tardif's jersey, and again, I know offensive linemen don't have jerseys out there, but if this were to be a thing, if if this were to be made available at your at your local sports apparel store. A lot of people, I think, would be intrigued in buying this, and a lot of kids would have this, and on the back of the jerseys they wear to school, you know, one kid's going to see, oh, oh, that kid's wearing LDT's jersey, and he's got MD on the back of it. That's pretty cool. Makes me want to be like that one day. I'm just trying to look at it from from a positive standpoint. Uh, okay, maybe the NFL doesn't, they want to keep the legal name only on there, what about Uh, maybe, maybe something small like a pin or some sort of a logo, some, something that you can also include part of the Jersey that can recognize what these players do. I think maybe something like that could go a long way. You know, maybe you could use red for those in the NFL who are, uh, who, who, have completed school and are doctors. Maybe you could have blue for those who, uh, went to school and trying to be a police officer, and you, and you have, a, you know, some some sort of a blue stripe somewhere on the jersey, on the back of that jersey. Uh, maybe you could also do white for those who are teachers. Uh, you know, you know, have another color, green, for those who have uh, been in the army or or, the, or anyone who's been a soldier and who has served the country, uh, whether it's in the United States or, or their own country, if they're from another country, I think that should still be recognized as well as, as it does take a lot of sacrifice personally for that person. So I think those kinds of things need to be recognized in some way. So maybe you don't want to include those initials, but maybe some sort of a stripe that could indicate uh, and represent what these players did. And I think, you know, and I will say this, what you could run into trouble is if you want to do red, a red stripe, well, it may not look good on a Chiefs jersey or a Redskins jersey or the Patriots alternate jersey, the red jerseys that they wear from time to time. I, I can get that as well. Uh, I guess that's just something the NFL should look into because I think that kind of positivity absolutely must be promoted. I mean, you have all of these arrested players. I mean, it gets talked about out there, and I know we live in a world where, listen, when you want to watch the ten o'clock news, it's negative stuff. You don't hear a lot of positive things. Yeah, sure, you may hear about a kid who's trying to raise money for cancer. I mean, you hear about those kind of stories, but. Out of the 10 stories you hear from your 10 o'clock news, 8 or 9 of them are negative. A house fire, a robbery, a murder takes place. A lot of horrible incidents. I think the league should kind of reconsider this, or maybe at least offer some kind of alternate to recognize players who have accomplished uh, something respectable like LDT has done. Final topic I want to discuss before we wrap things up here and do our closing segments Tamba Haley, yes, Tamba Halee has hinted a possible return to Kansas City. How is this? Here's a story. The Kansas City stars, Pete Grathoff, who does a lot of articles uh, regarding uh, any online trends or, a, or anything significant that happens on social media and generally writes about those, he mentioned uh, my tweet in an article. Uh, actually, he's done this a couple of times with my tweets. Uh, Uh, But but he he always does uh, any article that uh, involves the internet or social media. But anyway, he wrote an article that Tom Bahali hinted at a possible return to Kansas City. Uh, As you guys may remember, the Chase released him in March right before free agency and saved uh, right around $7.7 million in, uh, in cap space there. And at the time, Holly was promoting his musical career, was focusing on that quite a bit. I believe he has an, an album out called Tumba Juice. Uh, so uh, he he was focusing on that at the time, this spring. He tweeted, he had two tweets. First tweet says, quote, I'm stepping away from the music world as of today. I thank everyone who's had a hand in helping bring this amazing pro- project, Tumba Juice, the album, to light, especially Master Craft. I, I don't know who that is, but... He tags him, and uh, he says, I want to thank all the media outlets that posted my material. Thank you. And then in a second tweet, he goes, love doing commercial music, but the reality of the business side isn't yielding as I would like, and we haven't found anyone to sponsor us, and our budget we set has ran out. So I need to take a leave until I find another way to do it. Thank you all again, and stay a blast. Now look, as a a Pro Bowl player, I think when you write a tweet like this, someone will pick it up and want to do something with it. So I I think at some point he'll be able to uh, promote this maybe a little bit more and get what he's looking for. But nonetheless, then he takes it to Instagram. And he posted a picture of himself applying pressure on Peyton Manning in a game against the Denver Broncos. And uh, the post on Instagram says, quote, When you need to get there in a hurry, I'm coming this time uh, will be different. Obviously a run-on sentence there. Then he used the hashtag Chiefs Kingdom, and that drew some eyebrows there. Uh, I can understand why this article was written. People might think that it's maybe being blown out of proportion. I mean, look, he was let go by the Chiefs this offseason. Why would you uh, post a photo of yourself uh, wanting to promote an upcoming season and write Chiefs Kingdom on it? Uh, It just doesn't seem like that would make sense. The only possible answer to that is that maybe Holly could be coming back and might be playing for the league minimum under the Kansas City Chiefs. Maybe he understands that he'll have a new role and he'll, he would be okay with that. He just wants to stay in Kansas City. So that's potentially a possibility there. And uh, Garthoff, he mentioned in the article that the Chiefs' rookies report to Camp July the 22nd and the veterans arrive on the 25th. And he asked the question, will Tom Bahali be one of those veterans? Who shows up on the 25th. Kind of interesting. I already posted this question. I posted it. I had just read about it right before I recorded the episode. Let me know your thoughts. Do you guys really think Tom Mahale is coming back? Or do you guys think that this is being blown out of proportion? Let me know. Facebook.com slash Farzine Twitter.com slash two 21. You guys can also email me. Farzine at Farzine Vesugian Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Hey, while we're on the topic of former Chiefs who are free agents at the moment, well, no longer a free agent, at least for this guy, former Chiefs safety Ron Parker has signed a one-year deal with the Atlanta Falcons. The Chiefs, of course, let him go. Uh, He signed a five-year, $35 million deal, and the Chiefs' uh, new GM, Brett Veach, obviously felt... That was too much, so they made a change there. He's been very good in pass deflections. I know that's been uh, his biggest strength for the Chiefs, and I know that's not a stat that really shows up on the stats sheet much. Uh, But he's been an underrated safety, though I will say last year I thought was a big step back for him, especially because the Chiefs relied on him so much while he was uh, filling in uh, for the loss of Eric Berry, uh, as well as Daniel Sorensen, and uh, it just never really seemed to go great. For that, uh, for that safety duo that we saw for most of 2017, so this is going to be kind of interesting uh, to see how Ron Parker does. Moving on from Kansas City to Atlanta, uh, a lot of former Chiefs this year. Uh, whether it's in the college ranks, uh, you know, whether, whether, depending if it's a player, coach, uh, whoever, uh, just some come to mind. John Dorsey, of course. Todd Haley going to Cleveland. Herm Edwards coaching ASU. He's returning to the coaching game and in the college ranks for the first time. Uh, uh, I can't remember if I mentioned John Dorsey. Mike Rabel, former chief uh, for a couple of years. He is now a head coach in the NFL for the Titans. So it's going to be very interesting to see how a lot of these guys do. Of course, a lot of players. Derek Johnson, uh, Jamal Charles still looking for a home. Ron Parker, and now he's moving on elsewhere. Alex Smith of course now in uh, Washington a lot of former Chiefs very interesting to see and uh, a lot of uh, if you like everyone likes to keep an eye on former players from their team and how they do with uh, other teams uh, as well as coaches and GMs and there's a lot of that to go around for KC this year so definitely going to be a, an interesting offseason to, to to pay attention to for uh, former Chiefs uh, who are elsewhere in uh, the sport of football Going elsewhere, Kareem Jackson moving from cornerback to safety, and there's a big reason for it, and I want to get into that reason uh, later on. Uh, But Kareem Jackson of the Texans, uh, the Texans suffered a big blow at safety, and because of the surplus of cornerbacks they have, they felt that moving Kareem Jackson to cornerback might be the right move. Now, if you want to look at his uh, career, he started more than 100 games uh, in more than eight seasons with the Texans, all of them at cornerback. This is going to be a very tough transition uh, for any player. And I trust the Texans when they make this move. Romeo Cornell is the defensive coordinator, so he's making surely a, a smart call here if it's coming from him from just a defensive standpoint. We all know about his offensive deal in Kansas City, but again, we don't want to relive that. Uh, the, the, the point is... Uh, There's going to be a learning curve for Kareem Jackson, trying to make that switch from cornerback to safety. There are a lot of differences there. You're going to have to learn uh, where to go, where to move at certain times in certain schemes. And I think that's going to be a challenge for Kareem Jackson in 2018. Now, the other story I want to get into, the big reason why he's moving on to that position, is because of Andre Hall, uh, safety for the Texans, who was diagnosed earlier this month with Hodgkin lymphoma. And look, we all are very familiar with this, with what happened uh, to Eric Berry a couple of years ago and the victorious ending he had for this. And man, uh, it's just tough to hear about. No one deserves to go through anything like this. Listen, for Andre Hall, I hope this ends the exact same way for him as it did for Eric Berry. Uh, I I really hope it does go that path. I know uh, the Texans... We'll certainly celebrate it. Texans fans are going to embrace him even more when he comes back. I still remember the moment where Eric Berry was introduced in his first game back at Arrowhead. Very special moment. Even Denver Broncos fans were cheering in that moment. Just a very special occasion and uh, very cool to see. So I certainly hope Andre Hall uh, can have the uh, same result as Eric Berry and have a uh, special return to the NFL uh, when the time is right for him. Let's go out of bounds. Paul George, who spent uh, some time in his career with the Indiana Pacers and spent this past year with the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, it is reported that he is going to have a special televised event on ESPN to announce his free agency decision because this worked out so well when lebron james did it uh look I, i'm not a fan of these things i i know the whole lebron thing uh it raised money apparently look you don't need to announce you don't need to have an announced signing to raise money i i, I don't I, I, I mean, again, I'm not against these kinds of things. I know the Cleveland Browns 0 16 parade that raised money for for charity. Uh, that's cool. It, it is, uh, but when you're a rich athlete like LeBron, I mean, come on, you got all the money in the world. You 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 can you can do it all without the need of doing things uh, through a through an announcement like that. You know what else I don't like? And I understand there is a market for this, a big market. But I hate the the the, the fact that uh, you know there are high school players who will go on TV on ESPNU just to sit down, thank their families, their coaches, and teammates, and and everyone who has offered them a, a spot on their college team, and then they pick who where they're going to college by just simply uh, picking up the hat and saying the name at the same exact time. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I'm really not. Just 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 simply announce it. Uh, by either going on social media or telling the coach and have them announce it through their uh, PR department, I'm not a big fan of uh, these kinds of things. I'm really not. But again, I guess there's a, uh, a market for that. So we'll see how this all goes for Paul George. Likely going to the Lakers. I don't know. Uh, that's the uh, that's the hot popular opinion that everyone's going to the Lakers every year. That's a ca- the case at least. But here's another popular opinion: Soccer sucks. And that there are a lot of 0-0 draws. Well, that's not the case in the FIFA World Cup, which uh, a couple of days away from ending before the round of 16 begins. But, hey, listen, soccer haters, I know you guys like to bash sport. I'm not a big soccer lover, but I don't hate the sport either. I don't criticize the sport. But, listen, uh, it's a very hard sport. It's very hard to get that ball into the net uh, for the opposing team. And we see a lot of 0-0 zero, zero draws. We see a lot of scoreless games. And that's never fun. I get that's part of the reason why a lot of people don't like the sport. Because you don't like scoreless sporting events. You don't like ties. Nobody ever wants to see that. Uh, it's rare in sports like uh, the NFL and MMA. But I mean, it happens occasionally. But uh, they, it's, it's not as much as it, th- it happens in soccer. And listen, I, I, I wish they'd change it in soccer. Just either do 10 minutes... Each direction, 20 total of an overtime period. I know they have a different rule for that. Uh, Or just go straight to pedal the kicks. We want a winner in these cases. But anyway, the FIFA World Cup has yet to have a 0-0 scoreless game. So you can't necessarily criticize soccer... In that regard, which I've got to say, that certainly makes for an entertaining FIFA World Cup. Unfortunately, the timing for all these games not really on point. I've mentioned this before, and the United States not being in it that certainly draws attention away from that. Since a lot of people, you know, here in the United States, they want to follow uh, the FIFA World Cup if the U.S. is in it. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are still watching it. I've tried to follow it more so on the weekends. But nonetheless, uh, it's been entertaining. Uh, Quality wise, we've seen a lot of great matches, and I think that's certainly a good thing to see. Uh, You never want to see a scoreless bout, especially in in the biggest moment, uh, the biggest sporting event in the world. Uh, So, this is very fun to see, and uh, hopefully, this continues uh, all the way through uh, before the round of 16 begins. One final thing I want to talk about I watched part of the NBA draft last week. And I've got to say, booing is always funny. It really is. It happens a lot for the commissioners of these sports. Uh, it happens uh, during the draft when uh, a team drafts a player and the fans were expecting someone else. I saw this with the New York Knicks, and I just chuckled because uh, I mean the cameras love it. They'll stick on those uh, shots. They'll stick with those fans for as many seconds possible, and, and let the, let see those thumbs down. Uh, you know, see those fans who are holding their mouth, uh, their hands outside their mouths and shouting, Boo! Uh, just basically bashing the pick. Uh, it's always comical to see. Uh, and it's one of those things that just never get old. It really doesn't. We also see this uh, after championship games. Once a champion has been crowned uh, and the commissioner is there to uh, award the trophy. People criticize Golden Knights fans because they were apparently booing the commissioner, after they gave the city a team, first of all, a lot of, uh, you know, that, that, that doesn't mean you necessarily love the commissioner. I mean, he can still be disliked. Second of all, a lot of Washington Capitals fans were at that game. I'm sure Golden Knights fans were ready to just take off and uh, get away from the occasion since their team just lost. So any Golden Knights fans that were in the building, I'm sure probably had left at this point. It was just Capitals fans, a lot of them, who were at the event uh, and they were the ones who were doing the most of the booing for the commissioner. Final segment of the show. Let's throw some penalty flags. All right. I know a lot of people don't like the NFL top 100 list because I feel like it's a little biased, but this is a list that's put together by players. This isn't fans voting. This isn't the media voting. This is a list put together by the players in the NFL. They're voting for their peers. And for some crazy reason, Alex Smith was omitted from the NFL's top 100 list for 2018. The guy who was supposedly the MVP for the first half of the season. And I know the Chiefs lost that uh, Raiders game, but Alex Smith played a superb game there uh, so, for the first eight games, the MVP excluded from this, yet, however, Case Keenan was on it, and I know the Vikings made it to an NFC title game, but Case Keenan wasn't a big reason for that, Jimmy Garoppolo, who didn't even play half of the season, was on the list, Derek Carr, who didn't have even close to the same amount of statistics as Alex Smith, He was on it. I I have to say Alex Smith, and I've had, uh, listen, I I know I've criticized him a lot and we all had our differences of opinion on this, but Alex Smith for sure, 100% was a top 100 player from last season and he should have been on this list this year. I definitely think it's a robbery. I don't know how this list works. JJ Watt was on this list a couple of years ago. He only played two games. J.J. Watt played a little bit more this year, but he was still on the list again. And I I, I don't know, I, I feel like this is based on who's had a great career rather than who really played well for that specific year. I'm starting to think that we should get rid of this list. It's a nice list. It really is. And listen, people like to complain that, that the fans and the media don't know everything well. You tell me, do the players know much better than we do? Because apparently they don't think Alex Smith is a top 100 guy, and I think that is completely incorrect. Uh, He definitely should have been on this list, 100%. And the statistics alone show why. Mexico is moving on to the round of 16, going back to the FIFA World Cup. Had a big win over South Korea. By the way, and this is not what the flag is for, whoever was the announcer for that game, uh, he just has this crazy style of commentating that I love it so much, I, I really wish he announced a Chiefs game. But I know it's not going to happen. Anyway, uh, Mexico fans, let's just say they were a little erratic and uh, irresponsible celebrating uh, their uh, ticket to the round of 16. I mean, they were doing donuts in the streets and and running into each other, uh, fireworks, all these kind of crazy things. A lot of people on social media criticized Mexicans for doing this. Can we please not act like... Sports fans in the United States are perfect because they are not. Did you see what LA Lakers fans did when they were winning championships? I mean, they were lighting cars on fire. I've seen Minnesota fans do this. I'm sure some raunchy Philadelphia Eagles fans did some things they should not have done. Can we please not attend? I understand there's this crazy political issue going on with the border right now. Uh, with people crossing the border illegally And people are wanting to Make that a tie into this But you shouldn't uh, Come on uh, Yes I agree they should not be doing this This is completely stupid The way they're running into each other with their cars uh, just, just, just stupid But don't criticize them and act like American sports fans Don't do anything like this at all Come on We all know this and listen, at the end of the day, I don't think any fan base is perfect. Every fan base has its cool guys, and then you have, well, I guess the uh, the d bags, so to say. Not sure what else you could have really said there, but nonetheless, uh, this is a very interesting topic here. Something that I think a lot of people are going to uh, find sensitive to this including myself uh, as someone who has in the past worked with kids, especially kids with special needs. Um, this is something that uh, that I was definitely stunned to hear about. And again, I know I've discussed the Tyree Hill incident, and I've used that as a comparison. In fact, we did it last week when Greg Hardy got a job with the UFC. He got a contract with the UFC after his uh, performance on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. But the Kansas City Royals are strongly interested in an undrafted pitcher from Oregon State named Luke Heimlich. And the problem is, by the way, this guy was supposed to go in the first round. Uh, The problem with Heimlich is he did something completely unforgivable in his past. This is something uh, that he had done when he was 15. And he pleaded guilty to this felony charge... Uh, and it was a charge for uh, molesting a six-year-old his six-year-old niece from one of his older brothers. He had to register as a sex offender, according to all these reports. The story got out there under a plea agreement. Uh, and from the sounds of it, this is a guy, again, a left-handed pitcher out of Oregon State. Great pitcher. He really is. Uh, fans were even cheering on for him when they were playing against a rival in uh, Arizona State. Uh, I don't know if it was for a conference game or what, uh, or if it was just a big rivalry game, but uh, from the sounds of it, this is a guy who should have been taken in the first round, but he wasn't. Over the weekend, reports came out that the Kansas City Royals were strongly interested in this guy. And immediately, the comparisons came uh, of Tyree Hill. Everyone mentioned that incident, and I want to get into that later. Uh, General Manager Dayton Moore, uh, he said that the team is still trying to gather more information about him. Uh, Manager Ned Yost said he believes in second chances. Uh, Just some other facts to go with this. He pleaded guilty. However, he denies committing the crime. His family backs him on this. They support him on this. Basically, everyone in the family uh, believes him on this, except for the mother of the... uh the alleged victim of the of the girl. Uh, that mother ended up divorcing Heimlich's brother since the incident took place, and she, uh, she really does not want him playing baseball at the pro level. Tried to prevent him making it in the college level. Obviously, he made it there, and now he's close to making it in the pro level. And by the way, apparently, uh, the ex-wife now has lost custody of this girl, which... Adds a very interesting twist to the story. But again, that doesn't mean that Heimlich did or didn't do it. Uh, Just to be clear, Luke, uh, just some details here. He uh, has five nephews and nieces, including two older brothers. uh, And his oldest brother, Josh, is the uh, father of this girl who was allegedly uh, uh, molested. Uh, Josh was granted custody of the two children that they have. The mother had visitation rights that allowed her to have the children with her for, uh, for the Christmas holidays, uh, parts of the summer. Uh, it was during the summer of 2012 that she brought up the allegations of abuse to Josh after a discussion with their daughter. And those are the details from the, uh, the media in Oregon there. All right. Look, here's my thing on this. Uh, I will say I had very similar thoughts when Tyree Hill uh, was drafted by the Chiefs. I, I don't need to uh, remind you all of my thoughts. I, I'm sure you all had similar thoughts, and your opinions changed over time. Uh, and, and, and you know, last week with the Greg Hardy story, we talked about guys who uh, do awful crimes and they deserve second chances. I think there are certain incidents that are that are one strike. That's it right there. Um, I, I mean, look, uh, physical abuse on, on, on a woman or a man, anybody, uh, it's horrible. And then you talk about sexual abuse on a six-year-old. I mean, this really can can mess up a child's mind forever. Uh, I mean, this is not something they can just completely forget about and move on from. This is something that they have to deal with for the rest of their life, and it's very hard for a lot of people to bounce back from something like this. Uh, and, and here's the other thing. He, he denies committing the crime. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, according to reports, the mother spoke to the daughter and then spoke to the husband at the time. They're now divorced, uh, and apparently she's lost custody of the child. I don't know what to really make of this. I, you know, and I don't like to touch on stories that I don't know about, and this is one of them. Now, I know we're discussing it because there's a possibility this guy could be coming to Kansas City. A lot of people, by the way, scouts are saying that this guy could... Be in the pros right away. That's how good he is. I really don't know what to make of this. He pleads guilty but denies committing the crime, and this is, I guess, something I'm I'm just struggling with. Is he is he saying that just to get out of it, just to, at the end of the day, get this removed from his record and so he can play baseball? I don't know. I I, I don't know why he's saying this. Um, this is a very weird story. And listen, I trust, I trust any. General manager. I mean, they have the job that they have for a reason. I trust front offices when they consider guys like this. I'm sure they do their due diligence. Look at the Chiefs. And I'm sure Andy Reid has a big hand in it because look what he did with Mike Vick. I'm sure the Chiefs did everything they, they could re- during their research on Tyreek Hill. And when they had a plan for him as to what he needed to do in order to stay on the team. Because even though he was a draft pick, his roster spot was never guaranteed. The Chiefs made that clear. And during his rookie season, Andy Reid talked about how Tyreek Hill was doing all of the things that they have asked for him to do. So again, uh, I don't know exactly what the case is. If he did, didn't do it, uh, no one knows. Nobody really knows. Except for a couple of people involved. Uh, this is a very hard one to deal with. Is this guy really worth the risk? How much backlash are you going to get? And by the way, a lot of people are saying with Tyree Kill, at least he, uh, people are saying at least he did it to an adult, whereas Heimlich did it to a kid. First of all, you know, whether it's physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, I, I, you know, it's wrong either way. Yes, I do agree. It's just far more awful to hear about if it's, if it's done to a kid. I, I, I don't get me wrong. Please, I, 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 I agree with that but at the end of the day I, I'm not going to feel you know a little bit better or less angrier I guess would be better to, to, to say about someone because they they did something awful to an adult and by the way let's not forget here uh, Tyree uh you know he he did his physical abuse when his girlfriend uh, now his wife, was pregnant. So there was kind of a child involved who could have been hurt from this. So again, uh I know a lot of people don't hate hearing that because they've forgiven Tyree Kill for that for different reasons. Uh again, that's fine. I don't I really, you know, again again the Tyree Kill thing that's really changed my perspective on a lot of things when I hear stories like this whether it's in Kansas City or outside of Kansas City. Listen, whenever someone commits a bad crime like this, uh, everything's got to be done to make sure they don't do it again. If they commit it for a second time, well, look, it's going to be hard to believe them uh, and give them a third chance. It really is. Uh, I I really don't know what to do. Uh, And this is a job for Dayton Moore. Uh, He's got to decide what he wants to do. And if this is really worth the risk. And if he thinks that Heimlich can learn from this. Again, he says he didn't do it. But folks, you look at the Kareem Hunt stories that we've seen this off season. Your name just doesn't get involved. It doesn't just get written in into a police report because police officers are bored and have nothing to do. Things happen, and if you're if you're involved in the slightest bit, your name's going to be written down in the report. Now again, with this story, and again, I don't want to get too much into, into the details because it is... It is disturbing. Things like this you never want to hear. The story is that it was just him and the six-year-old niece in the room. That's the alleged claim here, and it's hard to say if no one else was in the room. You know, how do you come down to the bottom of this? How do you, uh, how do you get to the truth? And again, that's that's for other people to figure out. That's not my my expertise at all. Let me know your thoughts on this if you guys have any, because this is very interesting. I've never... I've never thought I would ever feel positive about a guy like Tyreek Hill, and I know a lot of us have. A lot of people were chanting his name uh, right before he took a touchdown back against the Raiders, which was a, a special moment for him. Uh, and he's a, uh, Tyree Kill. by the way, just recently did something really cool Where he had uh, created, a, I guess, like a little shopping spree with kids As a chari- charitable event People like to criticize Marcus Peters for his bad behavior Yet people forget that he fed 250 families He had three, 300 coats for, for a, a coat drive on Christmas he, People forget these kinds of things um, That doesn't make all of their past incidents forgivable No, 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 not at all Um... But I think we, we focus so much on the negative We forget there are positive things out there uh, Again I don't know where I stand on this I really don't uh, The Tyree kill thing like I said has changed my Perspective on things I'm sure you guys Have felt the same way and by the way I'm sure there are some people out there who Their pers- their perspective on Tyree kill Has never changed and I respect that If people feel that way um, I, Especially if you come from A place where you have witnessed Or you've had family members Or very close friends who've dealt with something like this. I can understand that. It's it's not easy for everyone to be on the same page with uh, in a topic like this. I want to hear your thoughts if you have any. Facebook.com slash Farzivisugian. Twitter.com slash farzine 21 Let me know your thoughts on this topic, any topic that we discussed here on the Chiefstone Podcast. Appreciate all of you downloading and listening to this episode. Email me as well, by the way, at farzivisugian.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Hit the share button. Let your friends know about the podcast. Until then, I'll talk to you guys on Monday the 2nd. And then again, as a reminder, the podcast will return on the 13th. And uh, we'll do podcasts on Fridays for a little bit at that point. And then we'll start doing podcasts twice a week. Kind of an inconsistent schedule because of the preseason scheduling, the way that works. But we will uh, announce uh, how the uh, scheduling will be and when you can expect a podcast during the preseason we'll make sure i will make sure i do that a week in advance that way you can all know about it so keep it locked here on the Chiefstone podcast of course things are heating up we're getting closer and closer to training camp july the 22nd rookies report and veterans arrive on the 25th so getting closer to football season folks and again, I want to hear you guys as part of the conversation. This is a big part of the podcast, and we'll continue to have more topics to discuss here and include you guys more so on the podcast. Facebook.com slash Twitter.com slash Farzine21. And again, my email, Farzine at FarzineVasugian.com. Appreciate you guys listening. Subscribe, share, talk to you guys next week.